how many of you remember Rock'em Sock'em by show of hands? Give me get some house lights in the room just a little bit because I can't see too many. Okay, how many of you remember Rock'em Sock'em? Remember Rock'em Sock'em? So some of you played this game and some of you are jealous because I have one up here and you don't. Right? So... For those of you that don't know what Rock'em Sock'em is like and the intensity therein, I'm going to go ahead and show and put this on display. From the red team, please give it up for Shane Strayer. This side of the room, your red team, come on up, Shane. On this side of the room, you are the blue team. Give it up for Todd up the graph. The blue is a coincidence, but let's just say that we planned it this way. So for those of you that never played this, have you ever played this before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rock'em, sock'em. All right. So just so you know how this works, they have joysticks and they, they punch or whatnot. Here's the rules. You got to keep this on the ground. Do not start doing like the thumb wars. You ever play with somebody thumb wars? And then they start like... Somebody, oh, snap. I'm not going to say who said they cheated. Um, but this is Rock'em Sock'em, so we're going to leave this right on the ground here. Be careful with the ropes because they've been causing us issues this morning. But And you touch it right away when I said that. <laughs> so here's the deal. First one to knock the other person out three times on the count of go. I need everybody to help me. One, two, three, go. See, red or blue, red or blue. You need to cheer if I say this. Oh, blue! Oh, wait, no, that's right. Wait, no, he knocked you out. That's a draw. That one went up first. I saw it. Team Red wins the first one. I saw it. I did see it. Let's go to the videotape. Okay, no. Okay, Red has one in three, two, one. Oh, Red wins again. Okay, here we go. We're gonna, we're not, don't get shut out here. Don't get shut out here. In three. Two, one, go. Someone got punched in the face. Give it up for Team Red, everybody. We have a champion. You're good. That's fun. I tell you what, that's a ton of fun. But don't we, except for Todd. Um, it's okay. <laughs> it's all a setup. You know, if truth be told, I think we all have felt from time to time like our life is like this. They were in this haymaker mentality. Yeah? We're in this haymaker mentality of, you know, I have to continuously find myself fighting, fighting over and over again. Sometimes the very same thing over and over again. There's every single one of us at some point in time have had our bell rung. We've all had our bell rung where we said, I don't know if there's any recovery from this. I don't know if there's any way to get out from this. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. 
Come on, be honest. It could be anything. It could be spiritual. It could be financial. But in some way, shape, or form, you found yourself in this rock'em, sock'em situation where you feel like this. All I do is I keep throwing haymakers. And there's some strategy to this. There's some strategy to this. Uh, but sometimes it's just a matter of it just so happens where that person positions themselves, right, for you to be able to get that one hit. And sometimes we find ourselves in the wrong position and we find ourselves getting hit in such a way that we're like, man, my head has come off, so to speak, right? You know, like that moment where, whoop, and you feel like, man, I'm, I feel like everything's disconnected from me. Everything, my mind is blown. My, my life is just, I, I feel like all I do is put on gloves every day and go out and I fight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, we... There's not a single person that has not felt like this in their lives. And if you haven't felt like this, I would love to have lunch with you. I will pay for it. <laughs> if you've never felt the pressures of life, if you've never felt the pressures of fight and the fighting that is constant in our, in our lives. So these next few weeks, I felt impressed to bring a series of thoughts and messages that deal with the fighting. And how do we fight well? How do we fight in such a way to overcome some of the obstacles that we find ourselves in? How many, how many find yourself uh, in a place where, you know what, I could use some hints on how to fight in this Christianity in a stronger way, yes? Not fighting from the flesh because we don't fight flesh and blood. We fight, we fight principalities and powers and, and dark forces in high places, yes? That's truth. That's the word of God. So why do you continuously think for any sort of moment that your physical is going to be able to fight for you? You think that if I can just position myself and, and just show up to church enough, that's enough. Or if I can just log on enough and watch enough podcasts or listen to or read enough books, that that's going to do it. Yes, that's going to help your faith. Yes, coming to church is going to help your faith. All these things. But you know what really changes your faith? When you start to know why you have the tools in your hands. You can have the most professional tools, but if you can't hit, hello? You can have the best batting gloves, the best bat, right? But if you can't swing worth a lick and you can't make contact, baseball is not going to be your thing. Same thing with any other sport or any other profession. You can have the best tools, right? Who's, who's by nature construction? I know Shane does construction. Anybody else do construction and have work with tools? All right, a couple of you guys work with tools, right? How many know that the tools make easier work, but they don't make the work happen, right? You have to use the tools, right? And in Christianity, it's the same way. Because we're in this fight constantly, but we don't often know how to use the right tools at the right times. So what I want to do is I want to furnish you with some tools in your faith this summer, right? For this entire next several weeks, uh, the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about being a fighter. Being a fighter. Help me out, media team. And so fighters, when you're fighting through your flaws, is today's message. When you're fighting through your flaws... Because the truth of the matter is, this faith thing isn't a game. Yes? This faith thing isn't a game. And so we have all imagined ourselves overcoming our circumstance because it seems like we're always fighting our thoughts, our feelings, 
our flesh, and our past. We're always fighting those things. And there's always that little whisper in our ear. You really haven't done well enough here. Or you really haven't done this here. Or you really, you really haven't been good enough. Or you really, you know, that relationship that you're in. And you know what? Some of those things are legit things to hear. But a lot of times, the biggest struggle is talking about when regret tries to creep in, what do you do with that? So I want to talk this morning a little bit about regret. Because I believe God is a God of conviction. But I don't believe that God throws regrets in your face so that you could regret things. I think we feel regret and that is also enhanced by the enemy. Now let me explain this because some of you may be like, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, hear my side of it and then maybe at the end you, dis- you decide what you, what you believe. Because for this, for this series of messages, I want us to be clear. I'm not majorly concerned with the type of parent you are or the spouse that you are. I believe what I want to try to accomplish here is to put the right tools in your hands so you can be the right spouse and be the right parent. So I'm not going to evaluate you as a parent, as a spouse, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as whatever. But what I am going to do is do my best in the next several weeks to put the enemy on notice that he lies and he lies really well. I want to put him on notice that he is a liar and that he no longer has any place in your ear. Come on, somebody. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read, that's going to be our main text for this morning. Who's ready to dive into the word of God? Somebody get excited. All right, six of you. Who's ready to get excited about the word? All right. So I talk a lot about God's plan for your life because I believe that God has a plan for your life. But we don't often talk about the plans that the enemy enemy or the devil has for you. The the, the plan that the devil has for you is to, to commission you to feel like now that my, my head's been knocked up, now that my life has been set in such a way that in some way, shape, or form, I'm no longer worthy of being called a son or daughter of God. He lies. And he tells you you are not worthy. And he tells you you're not worth it. And he tells, he tells you, and you buy it, That God has made a mistake and you're a mistake. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 tells us. This means, that is the person that that comes to Jesus. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has what? Begun. Begun. It's a new chapter. A new thing. I've reckoned it in, in times past. I've, uh, I've kind of come to that place where I've said, you know, you're not refurbished. You are a new creation. And you know the difference, right? The difference is a refurbished item is something that has been used and then was fixed and then brought back. That's not what scripture calls you. 
Some of you act like that and you can, you can kind of put yourself in that position like I'm still a work in progress. Yes, we're all a work in progress. That just means we're not perfect. But you know what God did do? God sent his only son so that you would be new in him. Not renewed. Your mind is renewed, but you as a person are a new creation. All things are passed away, right? The old life is gone and the new life has begun. You know what he's saying? You have a new chapter, start writing. And better yet, you have a new chapter, let me start writing in your life. I'm excited about our teens this week because God's going to write in their book a new chapter, a new thing. I'm excited about that. Anybody excited about that? How many commit to praying for the youth this week? How many commit praying for our youth leaders that are going? Just so you know, it's Jay and Aaron. Pray for them. They're taking our students out. Right? They're going to be, they're going to be chaperoning, taking our teens out to the camp this week. And uh, they're going to spend five days. And there's going to be uh, possibly a couple hundred students. I don't know what the registration is, but you've seen that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But guess what? There's going to be a moment where God's going to challenge a student and he's going to tell them, do you want to be new again? Do you want the old you or do you want the new you? And some of them are going to go, I want the new me. And that's when God's going to write in their chapter a whole new thing. So For those of us who have started a relationship with Jesus, this is huge. This verse is saying that I want to follow Jesus and I become a new person and I have a a life that's made of uh, a transformation life, a transformed life. How many know that Jesus, uh, to follow Jesus is a call to transformation? Yeah? It's a call to transformation. Jesus doesn't just justify our current life, but he gives us a new life. A lot of people kind of don't understand the difference. Jesus is not going to justify your old life. He's going to give you a new life and say, this is what you've begun. And so God isn't interested in just cleaning up the old you. He's not looking at that. He wants the new you to start showing face. And so maybe you're sitting here hearing me say these words and you're like, well, uh, I don't really like the old, you know, life being gone because, uh, I very much like the old life in certain ways. And I just, I like being that stray pet in the back porch. Like no commitments. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? That stray pet that shows up just for food? Right? Some of us approach our Christianity like that. We just come to church like, hey, I'm just going to come for whatever is good for me. But I don't want to commit to living here. I just, I just want to come for the food. Right? My mom likes to feed, you know, birds and stuff like that. They, they kind of come to the window, they eat, and then they fly away. And then they come back later when they're ready and they're hungry again. How many believers are like that? You don't commit. You're just kind of like a stray child. You're like, hey, I'm just coming. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I'll see you next week. You, you don't have a fight in you anymore because you forgot who you are. There's no fight in you. Because there's no commitment. You can't fight what you're not committed to. How many know it takes a commitment to get into the ring? Right? It's not like, hey, I put on some boxing gloves and get into a ring with, you know, a professional boxer. He will lay you out. It it wasn't too much past the the, the ding of the bell that you will be dinged yourself. Hello? 
You need to train, right? You can't just walk into a ring with a professional boxer and think I'm going to ring his bell. You're going to get your bell rung. Why? Because that boxer spent his life doing it. He's committed. And some of us get into the ring like, yeah, you know, I, you know on Sunday, I'm going to get into the And you're wondering why you're discouraged. You're wondering why you're bitter and angry on the way here. Because you didn't prep your heart before you even got here. This is the first time you heard of God all week. That's not everybody. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking about the other church, the other people. You guys are all believers and love Jesus with all your heart. But maybe there's just one in here. And maybe this is just the one time a week you get to hear God or hear from God. You expect to get into the ring with the enemy and, and ring his bell? You need the Holy Spirit to show you how to fight. Hello? fight with, the, with the, the tools that God has given you. So here's what I'm talking about. The flawed thought is that um, so often we get frustrated living our life and it isn't fixed for the first couple of weeks and we're like this Christianity thing doesn't work for me. So I found this phrase that I want to kind of pass along to you. Let's put this phrase up. Give God as much time to fix your life as you gave the devil to screw it up. Some of you gave the devil 20 years of your life and you expect God to fix you in 20 minutes. He is the God of miracles. But that's not quite how it works all the time. You give the enemy 20 years of your life and you expect God to fix you up in 20 hours or 20 minutes even, 20 days. How about you give God an equal opportunity? I'm an equal opportunity follower. I gave the enemy 15 years of my life until I came to Christ, right before I turned 16. And you know what I said? Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And it took years for that to really start to take, take foot in my life. Now, there were some radical changes God did in my life almost instantly. But that, there's still other things that took time. How many can echo what I'm saying to you right now? You've been in the faith a long time. You're still working out some things. That doesn't mean it's the old you. That just means the new you has to take place. The new you has to find its way on the track and work its way through that. Right? You know, there's two different ways you can live your life. And for those Knobel people, I want to just humor you for a moment. Here we go. Uh, this past week, you got a chance to go to Knobel's. And I went on this ride called the Twister. Later, I went on the ride called the Impulse. I want to tell you this. They are not the same ride. They're both labeled Roller Coaster. But I promise you, they're not the same. One will give you a migraine. And one, you will scream your head out in pure fun. I went on the Twister, and the rockiness of that Twister made me say, I never want to get on this ride again. I told my wife, sweetie, I never want to get on this ride again. <laughs> then I got on the impulse with my kids, and it was the smoothest ride. And I screamed just as much, but for a different reason. But they were both labeled roller coasters. And I, you know what came to my mind? Is that while they're labeled roller coasters, they don't have the same approach. You could have a bumpy ride in this Christianity thing. If you're not ready for it, or you could have a smooth ride. It's still roller coaster. It's still light. Listen, I'm not saying to you that there won't be bumps in the road because Christianity looks a lot more like the twister sometimes. 
Not everything's going to be like the impulse. What I'm trying to say is two things, while they're labeled the same, don't necessarily look the same when you're on it. So I'm not trying to say Christianity is easy and Christianity make life easier because that's not true. But it will make you stronger. It will cause you to learn how to fight so that you can stay in the game. Because some of you have got your bell rung and you don't even, you're not even sure if you want to get, get back into the ring. So give God as much time to fix your life as you gave the enemy time to screw it up. All of this tension is going on inside of us. And so let's look at Romans chapter 7 for a moment, verses 18 and 19. Keep your hand in 2 Corinthians because we'll be back there in a moment. Uh, but let me say this quickly here because this is a very important passage. This kind of talks to the whole week, uh, excuse me, the whole series. And so we're going to be throughout the week this week, I hope to be able to shoot some encouraging things in regards to Romans 7, 18, and 19. And it reads like this. How many of you, um, when you read this, I think you'll understand, have felt like Paul says in this statement. Are you ready? I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Now, you have a different translation. This is just one of the translations. One of the other translations that some of us have read, and most of us maybe have even have right in front of us, is the things I want to do, the things I should be doing, I don't do them, right? Because my flesh gets the best of me. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, I do that. How many ever felt like that before? Right? So sometimes the things I know I need to do, why don't I do them as easier? Like I, I just fight and I fight and I fight myself. I know what I need to do, but I don't do them. And then I know what I can't do or I shouldn't be doing, that I end up doing. Show of hands, how many ever been there before? You're like, I need to stop thinking like that. And then the next day you're thinking like that. I need to stop doing that. And the next day you do that again. You're like, ah, that Romans passage is very real to all of us, isn't it, in some way? You're in this constant fight. That's what I'm talking about when we're talking about this series. We're constantly fighters, fighters. We got to fight the flaw. And what is that flaw? That flaw is that regret that we often feel. That's very difficult to overcome regret. How many of you ever looked back and said, you know, if I knew that, if I knew what I knew now, 10 years ago, raise your hand. How many of you, if you could go back in time, you'd be like, if I could take myself right now, everything that I know, and go back 20 years, some, anybody got a DeLorean hanging around in their garage or something? The flux capacitor, right? You got yourself a time machine. If you could go back 20 years, right? Would you change some things? We talked about this yesterday a little bit. What would you, what would you do differently, right? It, it, I look back at my, 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 our wedding 21 years ago. My wife and I sometimes talk about this. If we could do our wedding again, what would we do differently? We're like, well, we'll probably change this and we'll probably change that. You know, regret is a horrible thing because it could really take your ear and take you for a ride. And you could sit there regretting and regretting and miss what God has for you right here right now. You ever felt like that before? 
Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you ever, ever heard of the term nolo contendere? Nolo contendere. So this is a Latin, and I don't know exactly all the details on this, but I know it's a legal term, and it's actually a Latin for no contest. And if you are, uh, let's say you plead no contest, it means that you don't admit guilt or claim innocence. Rather, you agree to the punishment for the crime. So you ever heard someone claim no contest or, uh, you know, they, they, in either way, they're, gonna, they're not going to say they're guilty. They're not going to say, they're just going to take the penalty as it is. And some people, you know, they, 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 in a legal term, they would do this because they don't want to admit guilt and they don't want to admit innocence and in fact, it's a legal term that allows you to put yourself in a position where you can no longer be penalized moving forward in a civil suit. No contest is the term that a lot of people use. And so that's kind of a strategy, but it's also a place of position. And I think a lot of us kind of go before God like that. We say, God, I know I'm not guilty, and, or I think I'm not guilty, or I don't think I'm really I don't think I'm really innocent either, but I'm just going to go before you and whatever it is. And God is like, you know what? You are guilty, but my grace will cover that, right? And so there are times in our lives that we come to God like this when we should just come to him and say, you know what? I'm guilty because I have not followed your word. I'm guilty because I've not done this. But we come to him kind of neutral like I don't really want to admit where I am. No contest. No contest. I won't contest what you say. I'm just going to take the penalty. How many know that that really won't lead to true repentance? You with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to gauge here? Because I think when we come to God that way, we no longer accept that what Jesus did is that he died for our sin. Not a, a thought or one mistake, but he died for our sin. So... How many know that sin does have a gratifying element to it? Raise your hand if you know that sin has a gratifying element to it. Or it wouldn't be a temptation, right? If sin didn't have some sort of gratifying tone to it. it, it but, but the reality is that it, it steals joy from us. It steals peace from us. So please hear me. The end result of sin is always regret. We're always going to have regret as long as we have sin in our hearts. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that you are called to be a fighter. I want you to say this with me. Say, I am... A fighter. Say this with me. I am a fighter. See, God has called you to fight. He doesn't call you just to get into the ring and get plummeted. He called you to fight. But you, got to, you have to understand that he's equipped you with the right tools. So here's what I want to, I want to talk about for a few moments. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want to read two verses and kind of dissect that for just a few moments. Can we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Now, this is verse 10, I believe. Let's look at verse 10 for a moment. Everybody got it? Okay. So here we go. Verse 10. Godly sorrow... My NIV translation reads, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
I found this translation, which is really neat. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Same thought, slightly different wording. Let's, let's understand the first few words because I need us to understand this. God wants us to experience. This doesn't sound godlike, does it? That God wants us to experience godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow doesn't sound godlike, but did you know that God wants us to experience godly sorrow? There are times that I, if I do wrong, I, I should be able to go to him and say, Father, I repent of what I just did. That's godly sorrow. That's not to be confused with regret. Regret is looking back and saying, I shouldn't have done that. And there's no way I could ever fix it. And there's nothing. And I'm, I'm, I am worthless and I'm useless. That regret has that negative undertone with no hope. Godly sorrow says, Father, I genuinely, watch this, I genuinely come to you with a repentant mindset. When you fight, you're going to make mistakes. When you fight, you're going to find yourself in positions where you never thought you'd be in your... You got to understand that godly sorrow will produce that genuine repentance that God has been looking for in you. Sorrow is what happens when you find out that the thing you put all your hope in besides God can't deliver. Did you hear that? Godly sorrow happens when you all the things that you put your attention into leaves you flat. And you're like, oh, wow, I put my trust in me that time. Oh, wow, I put my trust in man that time. I put my trust in my job to supply for me. I put my trust in my bank account to be able to buy me out of the situation that I'm in. Then when that, when that account is withdrawn completely, then what? That godly sorrow says, I'm sorry I didn't put my trust in you. How many get what I'm saying? That's godly sorrow. And to, God doesn't want you to feel bad necessarily as an end result. But if feeling bad leads me to repentance, that godly sorrow is of God. But if that guilt, that, that, that feeling of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That, uh, that sense of remorse that doesn't have any sort of hope, that regret, shame and regret, thank you, that shame and regret that we often have, that right there does not produce fruit. Instead, God wants us to experience godly sorrow so that we would turn and it results in salvation. And that's a holy thing. That's a good thing, right? So let's look at this again. God wants us to experience this so that we turn to him. God never wants to rub our sin in our face. That's not why he does it. Because he could have done that a long time ago. Hello? So let's look at verse 11 for a moment. Uh, the New Living Translation reads like this. Just, do we have that? Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, 
such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. You know what? Godly sorrow will allow you to turn to him and say, I'm going to keep fighting because you set your son so that I could win this fight. Stop throwing haymakers. You don't know where they're going. You could tell an amateur boxer from a not so, you know what I mean? An amateur boxer from a pro boxer because they often throwing like this. They're just throwing haymakers as hard as they can, hoping to land something. You know a, a, a very strategic boxer. <laughs> He's getting that pointed, pointed. The quickest point from A to B is what? Straight, right? You could tell the haymaker guy. He's the amateur. He's throwing like this. But the one that knows what he's doing, he knows his target. And God has called you to fight with earnestness and desire and passion to see his will unfold in your life. So there's no regret for that, that kind of sorrow. There's, that's not regret. Godly sorrow brings you closer to Jesus. Regret pulls you away from him. How many are with me? So here, whatever it is that brings you to a place of needing the Savior... It's not something to regret. Would you agree? If it brings you closer to Jesus, it's a good thing, right? So you have to go through certain things to realize that sometimes the fight, the fight that you're in is a blessing in disguise. Some of you think that the fight is, uh, oh, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's always the enemy. No, sometimes God allows certain fights in your life to strengthen you. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 11. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. That's another translation that said that. I looked at all these translations and I'm finding these gems. Because in spiritual death, what does that mean? That the enemy had a hand in that. Because God doesn't want anything to do with spiritual death in your life. How many would agree with that? If you don't agree with that, we got, a, we got a lot of other problems. Like Jesus genuinely wants you to succeed in your Christian faith. He wants to give you faith so you can live for him and, and, and those things. But the truth is that most of the time, every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about when I say, tell your brother you're sorry. Tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. And you're like, no, you didn't mean that, right? Are you sorry or sorry you got caught, right? Paul is saying here to feel bad but not repent makes you feel better for a little while. But in the end, it's the same as if you never felt bad. Because all you're doing, if you genuinely don't have godly sorrow and you repent, you'll end up doing the same thing again. And it's just like saying, I'm sorry, now are we good? Can I get my toy back or can I get my thing back? Can I go to my friend's house now? I'm sorry. And you know as a parent and you know what's true and what's not, right? You don't think God knows what's honest and what's genuine repentance? So before we could fight the true fight, and rock them and sock them and do what we need to do to fight, we have to realize that inside of us, there's a genuine repentance that has to happen. Now, 
Listen to me. I, I need everyone to look at me for a moment. Can you guys give me a couple more minutes? Can you guys give me a couple more minutes? Because I, I need you to sit up for me. I need you to hear what I'm about to tell you because I'm about to tell you something very important. As long as we keep, keep believing that our way is the best way to a happy and fulfilled life, we will never leave the cycle of sin behind. As long as we believe that our way, our way is the best and only way, we will never leave the cycle of sin. It has to be his way. It has to be the word of God. God will be just a friend at the police station who gets us out of speeding tickets. That's what we see him as. That's all we see him as. That guy that bailed us out again. And we've all been in that situation where maybe, uh, maybe we haven't all been there. I know I have been there. Where I try to help somebody out when they're in a desperate situation. And then they, they kind of come out of it. And they're like, man, I'm never going to do this again. Or I'm never going to do that again or whatever. And then they do it again. And then you're there for them again. And then, oh man, thank you so much for being there for me. I'll never do that again. And then they do it again. And you're like, help me help you. Right? And maybe you've been that person. And you're like, man, I'm so glad God delivered me from that. Anybody ever felt like that? So maybe you're the person that's like, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And then you do it again. And then I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And you do it again. We've all been in some way one or the other. Right? So the truth is that that doesn't mean that either of them are okay. There comes a point where you're enabling the person. And there comes a point where you're taking advantage of someone. So how many of you in your right mind would want to say, you know what, I love taking advantage of God. <laughs> Most of us would never say that. But when we come to him without repentance, that's what we're doing. We're the guy in the police station waiting for God to bail us out again. And we're like, hey, I'm never going to do it again. Three hours later, we're in the same place again because we did it again. So let's look, at, um, let's look at this last verse here for a moment. Again, verse 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Earnestness. Everybody say earnestness. Concern. Indignation. And alarm. Those are all different things. When you find yourself in a place where you're caught in a cycle of sin, you should be able to say, you know what? I earnestly don't want to be there again. I, I am so concerned. I have a clear motive. I have a clear perspective of myself. And the biggest problem is that most of the time, people that are fighting don't realize who they are because they never remembered and never laid foot on whose they are. And that's where it all comes from. So here's my thought to you today. If regret sits there long enough, it will kill your joy in serving God. If regret sits there long enough, how many ever had uh, <laughs> how many ever had something sit in a bowl for too long? Okay, I, 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 let me just say this: I have uh, people that live in my house that they like to eat things and then leave it there for a long period of time. If you don't get to it in like I don't know, like a week, like stuff starts smelling weird, right? And I'm like, get that out of your room. 
or get that out of your room. And like the third day, like, all right, what is going on here? Why haven't you taken this out yet, right? We laugh at that because we're like, oh, that's just, but we've all done the same exact thing. Stuff is sitting in our life and we just, we know it's there, but we're like, we'll get to it when we get to it. But that's the very thing that's stopping you from putting up the fight that God has called you to put up. Maybe it's something that's been sitting there a long time and you have not, you have no ability to push back. I, 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 this game is so much fun. Like I, I'm probably going to be playing this, this this afternoon. I don't know. But, but the reality is that no matter what you do, you always have to, no matter how good the other person is, you have to do something about what you're doing. You have to concern yourself with you. And if you're good, but the person you're fighting is great, you, you have the under, you're the, you're the underdog. But I want to tell you, God is the God of the underdog. You may think, I don't have a lot of abilities. I don't have a lot of strengths. I don't have a lot of gifts. Those are the people God uses to show off in times like this. So know this, that there's not a single one of you in this room that God doesn't want to help you overcome. There's not a single one of you that God doesn't want to use to fight this fight of faith. So hear me. Understand something, that sometimes all you have to do is let go of what's in your hand. Now, let me share this one story, this final story with you, and I'm going to pray. At its core, when you fight, it's waging constantly inside of you that you need to fight, right? This, this fight of faith is waging in you. And so you decide you want in. Let me tell you about the South Indian monkey trap. Can I share with you a little bit about the South Indian monkey trap? This trap consists of a hollowed out coconut. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's a really interesting kind of uh, approach. This hollowed out coconut, right? It's actually chained to a stake. The coconut has some rice inside, which can be grabbed th through a small hole, right? The monkey's hand can fit through the hole, but once he goes in and he knows it's in there, he'll grab a handful of rice and then he pulls and he realizes he can't go anywhere. And because of the selfishness of the South Indian monkey, they're trained to hold on to what they got because someone's going to take it. All they have to do is let go and let their hand go through again. But the problem is they never let go. They reach their hand through that little hole in the coconut, grab all the rice they can, and when they pull, they can't make it through the hole. And then they're easy pickings. And that's how they, the hunters catch these monkeys. Because they won't let go of what's in their hands. So to you, I propose this thought. What if there's some regret that you're holding on to that God is like, you can be set free, but you got to let go of what's in your hand. You have to let go of what's in your hand, then you can be free. Ah, sometimes I feel like that South Indian monkey, right? I just want to hold on to it because I want to, I just, whatever reason, Right? I just want to, or I, I think I'm going to, or I feel like I should be. Or... 
It's just a matter of letting go. So here's what I propose to you today. Every single person in the sound of my voice, whether you're online with us here today, we welcome you, or if you're here in this room, can I propose to you today? Release the regret that has no point of being in your life. Let go of that regret. And be, decide to be the fighter that God has called you to become. So you too can rock them and sock them. Because you need your hands for the fight. But you're holding on to things that's going to just entrap you. And you're going to be captured by the enemy. Today, God has called you for more. Amen. Can I have those of you at home bow your heads? Those of you here with me bow your heads for just a moment. Father, we thank you that there is no life outside of you because or else we would be hanging out and camping out with the enemy. Father, we are yours. And you give us hope. You give us joy. You give us promise. I ask you today, God, that you would expose the greatest lie that the devil has ever posed on the church convincing us that unless we hold on to the very thing we have we're going to die without it Lord just like that monkey thinking he may not ever get rice again he, he holds on to it but that's what causes him to be captured I pray today God that you would allow us all to come to a place where we let go of our shame, our regret, and our guilt, and lay hold of the plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Stand with me for a moment. I'll tell you two more things and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. I want, you to, I want to ask you two questions and here it is. Are you ready? Is the sin in my life much different from the sin that was in my life 5, 10, or 15 years ago? That's the first question. Do you still have things in your life that were in your life 5 years ago? If they are, it's time to let go. How many of you agree with that? Yeah? It's time to let go of it. It's, it's way overdue. If you're still struggling with the same thing 5 years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, we're a work in progress. I get it. But the truth is, if it's in your life in some way, you need to do your best to try to remove it. And here's my second question for you as you fight your flaw. If I knew I could do whatever I wanted and could get away with it with no consequences, would I still do it? In other words, is my actions based on a love for God and a trust in his ways that they're better, or is my, are my actions based out of a fear of consequences? Love for God doesn't mean you just do it so that you don't go to hell, right? But that because you genuinely love God and you realize his, his death for you was genuine. You hear what I'm saying? So like if, if certain things you knew you wouldn't have any consequence, would you still do it? Even though you know it will break his heart, you would be like, oh, well, I would feel better about it, you know, but he may not like it, but I'm okay with not feeling guilty. That's probably the wrong mentality. If that's the way you feel, then you need to check that as well today, amen? So real quick, number one, 
what do I need to do? Repent of the things that maybe I've held on for too long. And secondly, heart check. Am I doing things for the right reasons? Listen, many of you serve in much different capacities in this church. And I can't tell you how important you are to this body. Serve and let God show you what to do. But don't serve without repentance. Showing, asking God, Lord, let me serve. But let me serve with a, a genuine repented heart. Not just because I want to check off a list of something to do. But serve with a genuine spirit. Say, God, I want to love you. Not because pastor said or there's a hole in a need. Those are great. It's, it's great to fill a need. Don't get me wrong. But are you serving him because you love him? Or just because you don't want to be looked upon a certain way? Genuinely repentance fix that. Genuinely repentance gets, gets your heart collaborated, right? How many of you had a printer, you sent something to print and the collaboration's way off and the colors are all over the place? You ever had something print like that? Anybody ever something print like that? And you're like, what just happened to my printer? Like had a seizure or something, right? Because all the colors all over the place, things don't line up. That's exactly what happens when we try to do things for God without a, without a repentant heart. Our collaborations need to be lined up. Amen. So here's what I pray. Father, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be ready, focused, and alert. Lord, I pray against regret, guilt, and shame. I pray that you would raise up fighters. Fighters that are willing to fight beyond this earthly, physical world where we can see but they would fight principalities and powers and that there's a very real devil, there's a very real hell, and there's a very real God who wants to bring us to a place of promise and hope. God, we pray in Jesus' name today, bring us to a place of confident, repentant, God-fearing Christianity. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.